Um, hi, I'm Mario Kadabai, Head of Programs at BAFTA. Thank you for joining for this Q&A with Director Sue Moirez for Saudi Runaway. Yeah, it was real, a little bit of an odd situation doing kind of a virtual Q&A, but in a way a little bit apt for the film that we're about to talk about in a way, kind of directing virtually in a way um, that you had to for this film. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the conception of the project. I know that you'd made a film in Iran before this, but when you moved on to the second feature, were you looking for a particular subject matter or did the subject matter come to you and then did you think about the film in that way? Um, I think there were, um, of course, they had different interests in the topic, but I think one of the main things, and there was also, you know, the topic with my first film, which uh, was about two DJs in Iran, um, I'm very, I think I'm very interested in restrictive societies, restrictive systems and, you know, the energy that brings, that comes along with it. And especially the younger generation that live in a very comparative world, you know, through social media and to kind of look at, you know, how they deal with these situations. And obviously with Saudi Arabia, there's, um, there's, there's of course, uh, much more to it than that. You know, you have, um, you have a country which is, you know, at the center of world media, but at the same time, we know very little about it, or at least it is a very one-sided image where, you know, which is, you know, being shown. And, um, and, but at the same time, you know, have a country where basically it summarizes, you know, a human rights drama at its core. So that's, that's how I got into it. In terms of, yeah, so uh, the human rights issue and especially in kind of relationship to women in Saudi Arabia, um, the notion of forced marriage um, isn't a new one, not only in Saudi Arabia, but, you know, many countries around the world. Um, so finding kind of women that were willing to take part in this, I can imagine, must have proved very, very difficult just from a safety um, point of view. Um, how did you kind of, yeah, interact with these women in the first place? Um, it, it wasn't easy, of course. I, I was researching for about two and a half years and I met many Saudi women in exile um, who, you know, loved the idea about this project and, um, you know, we're still in touch, but um, even like the most outspoken, you know, activists, I mean, none of them, um, you know, ag agreed to or, you know, would have shown their face on camera because everyone thought it was too dangerous. And, um, but yeah, I met, and then I tried to get into the country, but um, they refused my visa several times. And um, I, I had planned to make a film about, you know, these women, which is, you know, around a thousand every year who are leaving the country or escaping. And I didn't really, I, I didn't really like the idea to actually um, make a film about a girl or a young woman who had left already and kind of tell the story backwards. I really wanted to tell the story right from the start. So, um, yeah, I found this Saudi activist who's running um, a closed chat group where there's, there's about 350 members in the chat group, um, mainly women, and they kind of support each other. You know, they kind of share tips and tricks on how to leave the, you know, how to leave Saudi Arabia. And he was you know, kind enough to place a post for me in, in this chat group. 
um, the Saudi activist um, in Arabic. And in this, in this post, I basically ask for a woman who is looking to leave, to escape Saudi Arabia in the near future, who would be willing to document her life and also to document her escape. Yeah, so engaging kind of the women in the documentary. Um, was it only Muna that got back in touch or did you have a number of women that had come through and so they were willing to kind of have you kind of be involved, you know, help? I yeah, I thought, um, you know, especially, you know, from my pre previous experience, I thought the feedback was amazing. So I had about, I don't know, 40 to 50 women getting in touch with me. And everyone thought, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's really, it's something that needs to be done. And I, I could feel this incredible urge of, you know, every single woman, you know, who got in touch that they just wanted to tell their story. They were telling in, in length, at length, you know, their, you know, personal lives through our chat. But in the end, um, most of them were actually too scared to, to get into the filming bit. And it was, in the end, it was, it was actually only Nuna, I think, who, well, who really said from the beginning on, yes, I did, definitely. I, you know, the world needs to see what's going on. And um, so, yeah, we, we started chatting. She told me, she told me her story. I think she she wrote half a book. Yeah, I think she wrote for about six hours, just you know, writing, 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 and we started filming the next day. That's uh, yeah. She just said, "Hey, the world needs to see what's happening." Um, I wanted to ask then, kind of the filming process, how it began with her. How did you direct, and what did advice did you give? Kind of, did you give any advice on to? Um, safety precautions and measures that she should put in place um, in the first place. And then on the secondary kind of side of filming, um, it's filmed, kind of, it's very cinematic and it captures so many different emotions and angles and it, she's using, you know, if I believe like two phones and kind of what guidance did you give her on how to film the documentary? Um, of course, it was quite multi-layered. There were a lot of things to it. So of course, safety was, you know, a, a big issue. Um, uh, she she has two phones. She owns two phones, and what she did and what we agreed on right from the beginning is that as soon as you know, after every day, she was uploading all the high-res footage to me and deleting everything on her phone. But at the same time, talking about safety, you know, we both also agreed that actually filming and having like random clips of things on your phone wouldn't actually be that dangerous. Um, so I think she felt quite safe and, you know, for her, it was clear that, you know, the actual escape was, you know, the very, you know, was the dangerous bit in it all and probably more dangerous, um, you know, than, than the filming. And then, yes, yeah, she started the next day and um, our process was that we chatted for about five to six hours every day. She sent me a footage, we went through it. Um, we discussed form and content. Um, we found, you know, ways of filming, metaphors of how to describe things visually. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how we collaborated. Um, yeah, of course it was, it was work in progress, you know, it got better over time and the best footage, um, is definitely, you know, from, you know, more towards the end. And we had, um, when we met, she had five weeks left until her wedding. 
Um, so five, five weeks until escape. So we had five weeks to make the film. That's incredible. Um, yeah. It's to uh, go back on the point that you made kind of on filming metaphors and um, maybe talk us through kind of an example of that. Um, you've talked about kind of, obviously it's, she shows, she has to show us kind of certain um, confines to her life. And I wondered how, what conversations that you had with her for her to be able to show those in a filmic way so it can be explained to kind of a viewer that's not so aware of kind of the confines of her life. Um, of course, that was a very difficult bit because, um, you know, the film is, is mainly happening behind closed doors in her apartment. But I think if you have, a, in 90 minutes, it's still very hard to really understand the constraints of, you know, the life she's living in, in Saudi Arabia. But when we're talking about metaphors, you know, I, I basically ask her, so how could you describe your prison, you know, your prison in pictures and so we came up with things like you know filming you know her windows her, her you know she has these barred windows she has you know the doors are always locked you know the omnipresent uh, air conditioning you know just as an example and when she went outside she was um, always um, filming from behind her veil so you always have this very poetic you know, slightly, I don't know what you call it, but like blurred, you know, vision when, when you leave, when you leave the house. So this is basically how she sees the world. And I think it transports very well in the film. Definitely. Um, in terms of language, obviously, um, I don't know, I'm, forget, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that you don't speak Arabic. And and so in terms of kind of the language of the film, I know that obviously for her with, um, did you need help along the way in terms of with her, in terms of for her conversations or was that kind of, um, you know, an easy understanding from the start? Um, to be honest, um, it, it was easy because her English is very good. So we were obviously chatting in English and the things she were filming, so everything that was, you know, they, that was spoken in, in the material, in the footage, I, I didn't have a clue what people were saying. And I didn't have the time to get it translated while we were making the films because we had such a short uh, time frame. Um, but, um, you know, the important parts, she, she basically explained to me. Um, she explained to me and she translated quickly. And then once we finished the film, once we stopped shooting, um, I employed, I think, about 20 translators and I translated everything and so I got everything translated in about 10 days so that you know I was able to start editing as soon as possible. We've had a number of questions come through so I'm going to go yeah. through them one. Um, the first one is from Julian Alcantara and he said were there times through must have been a very tense five weeks when Muna had second thought, thoughts on both escaping or recording her escape in this way? Um, Absolutely. I mean, second thoughts, um, that is something I think you can see quite clearly in the film that she's, you know, she's always doubting. It's, it's, she's, I think she's going through a very human process of progress of what is happening before, you know, you're doing something so big and so life changing. And I think it's, it's also, it's quite clear. Uh, it come, I think it comes, it comes across that, you know, she loves her family. 
there's it's not that she she hates, hates everything about her life in Saudi Arabia and there's basically you know her constrained freedom is something she was trying to get away from but you know she she loves her family and she was doubting her escape until the very last minute it was literally i think she was doubting until five minutes before she left um she left the hotel room yeah. do you think yeah, and, but she never, sorry, sorry, I think the second part of the question was if she was doubting the filming. Um, no, the filming she didn't doubt. Um, she was always filming. Of course, if she had decided not to leave Saudi Arabia, we wouldn't have a film. I would have probably kept the footage, um, you know, to see maybe something else is happening in the future with her. Or, But yeah, we wouldn't have a film now, definitely not. Did she ever ask you with assistance? to escape? Um, that was actually something I was a little worried about before I started the whole project because I thought, okay, if I get in touch with these women, um, what will be my responsibility in the whole thing? And with Mona, I have to say, <laughs> it was pretty incredible. She never actually asked me a single question. She never asked for help. She never asked me, you know, just simple things like what is life in Europe like, you know, the place where she was planning on going to, and I am European. Um, no, there was, there was nothing. I mean, she was, she's just incredibly autonomous and um, yeah, yeah. I suppose that what you mentioned, kind of the notion of wanting freedom, but never having had freedom your entire life, how, how is she to know kind of what that freedom even is or what it looks like and do you think had she traveled with her family kind of outside of Saudi Arabia before this point do you know um I think they've been to Amman twice I think that was her only yeah her only trip abroad okay we have more questions that have come through so um Nick Wright says I really want to know what happened to Muna's mother and siblings she gets a message from them at the end but did they end up leaving Muna's father um, yes, they did. Uh, she did separate. Um, they're living, yeah, they're living separately now. All her siblings are with the mother, and um, I can also say that uh, Muna is in touch with with her family. They're in very good, you know. There's there's a good relationship between them, um, which is also very lucky, which because it also means that she is safe where she is now because no one is chasing her, no one got in touch with the government, you know, after she left, trying to get her back, um, yeah, so. Yeah, that was quite, in the yeah. film, it was um, kind of, it was quite terrifying to see the uh, foreboding kind of presence of her father throughout, kind of, the, when, he was when he would lose his temper, or even kind of, you know, knowing, her, her knowing when he was about to lose his temper, and I imagine it kind of added a, an extra element of kind of fear, not only kind of the fear of escaping this life, but the fear kind of, of escaping a very controlled environment with a quite violent father at home as well. Um, another question is, um, was it's asking about her actual wedding when she filmed it. Um, was that her husband that came to the woman's floor of the wedding? It felt so strange considering men never see women without their veils on, completely covered up. Is that traditional or usual? Um, this is also something I've asked because I was surprised myself. 
Um, and she said, it, it depends. It really depends on the kind of wedding. It depends on the family. Um, but with her, she said, um, that this was something which, um, yeah, was agreed on before. And also, he wasn't there the whole time. He basically just came in the end to pick her up. Mm -hmm. And then we have such a powerful film. Congratulations. Hope Munner is safe and well. Um, where is she now? And is she still in touch with her family? So I suppose you've mentioned some of that, but is she happy and safe right now? Um, she is. Um, I would say she's very happy. Um, she says she has no regrets. She lives in Germany now. She's learning, <laughs> she's learning German. Um, and she, she already traveled. She actually, she has, um, she got, sorry, political asylum. And with that, she got a blue passport. So she's able to travel. And she went to uh, Georgia the other month to meet her mom. So they have already been reunited. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, another question mm -hmm. um, from Michael Nollett. Um, he said, congratulations on a very moving and informative film. It looked like an unavoidable nerve-wracking uploading system. Did you have any problems or scenes you relied on for, on for the edit that had been discussed and then lost after filming? Sorry, the last bit? Sorry, say again. But, um, it said that it, uh, did you have any problems or scenes that you had relied on for the edit then be, that perhaps you had discussed with Munna but that had been lost or not captured? Um, not really. Nothing got lost. Um, and I only received what I received. So there's no scenes because I wasn't there. There was no scenes where um, I thought, okay, we should have shot this or we should have captured this and we didn't. Um, um, and, and generally the editing process, I mean, we worked quite closely together. So there were quite a lot of scenes where I wasn't quite sure if they could be included out of, you know, because of safety, safety issues. Um, but yeah, we, we worked quite closely together. So I was in touch with her every day and always, you know, sending clips and like, Hey, is this okay to use? And what do you think about this? And what does that mean? And, mm. um, how many hours of footage did you end up with at the end? Uh, we had about 70 hours. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. And did she, I don't know if you covered this, but did she upload daily and transfer and then did she then have to delete the footage that she had captured for safety reasons or kind of did she kind of, you know, like transfer it to a cloud or? Um, I think we used Dropbox. <laughs> I won't do any advertising, but I think we used Dropbox. Um, she uploaded for two reasons you know firstly because of safety and secondly because she actually needed um how do you call it she needed more space on her phone yeah, yeah. okay mm -hmm. more questions we've got lots of questions coming through yeah um, mm -hmm. we have um well, what was the process of financing who supported you first um i had no financing um so I just shot the film, but, you know, the way we shot was obviously not that expensive. Um, and then once it was shot, I started looking for money and I was very lucky. I got money very quickly from uh, mainly Swiss film funds. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I, I can't remember who, who gave us money first, but um, I think I had all the money, the money together in like six weeks. And when did it actually, so when did the process sort of take place? So 
it was 2018 when she escaped is that on 2019 2019 was very quick i mean we we made the film we did the film in six months so from the first day of shooting until yeah being being accepted accepted to sundance where the film premiered in january and then in berlin and then in berlin and then corona yes um more lots more questions um susan schwartz congratulations incredible story what was the reaction from her husband i'm surprised he didn't contact the government um that was also first of all thank you very much and that was also something I was worried about right from the start and I was kind of waiting for it. But um, yeah, the, the husband never got in touch. He got in touch with the family um, only briefly to, to ask back his diary. And then no one heard from him again. So was the marriage then just annulled or? Um, I'm not quite sure about the, about the legality. Um, um. Uh, someone has asked given it's such a prominent launch in Sundance and then Berlin has there been a reaction from the Saudi authorities about the film um, so far no no nothing haven't, we haven't heard anything neither has she you know, she's on social, social media and you know she can be contacted but um, yeah she hasn't hasn't heard anything neither her family um, um. I think, sorry, I've got one more question. You're going to see my hand coming in. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, guys. Oh, no, we're done. We're done. Good. Um, so I just kind of wanted to ask then in turn about um, kind of a sense of responsibility that you must have felt kind of throughout the process of um, being kind of her one, Muna's one external kind of contact in the world, probably the only person that actually knew that she was, planning this kind of just in filmmaking terms how do you kind of deal with that pressure that responsibility in your hands um i i thought it was pretty tough but then at the same time you know what i've said before because she because she is such a fiercely independent woman and i never had the feeling that she's kind of looking you know for me to help her or um I think it made it easier and she always made it crystal clear that you know she's going to leave no matter what so I could feel you know there was a focus and you know she would she would do it anyway I mean with film or without film or and I think she for her it was you know she she was really able to kind of get an idea of what the situation like is in Saudi Arabia. And I actually, I did rely on her that she said, hey, look, it, the way I'm shooting and the way I'm doing it and, you know, the footage I have on my phone, it is actually all very safe. Even if my father now, you know, grabs my phone and checks, you know, checks the content, she said, hey, he would never think I'm making a film. Yeah. So and we, this was also something, you know, that I was think really we, important. I think we spoke about this in terms of kind of if this film kind of it's because of the time that it's made it's people are so used to kind of people filming and documenting their entire lives all the time and especially oddly in kind of different countries in the Middle East the kind of the youth revolution of people documenting as a vehicle kind of for communication has become such a 
you know, normalize activity that I think it was seemed so easy for her to film every aspect and without any, anyone questioning kind of why yeah. she was documenting everything on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not, she's, she's not just like a, you know, she's a young woman. She's, she's on social media. She's covering a lot of her life anyway. And, you know, the, when you look at the scenes in Mecca, you can also see that basically every single person is having a mobile phone in their hands. Yeah, exactly. It's so unique. It's just a kind of, we again spoke about this as well, saying it's so unique. It's kind of a privilege as well to kind of be allowed into that world and see it from a first-hand experience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of some of the myths myths are dispelled and some of them are kind of cemented at the same time. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, incredibly brave, um, brave woman, but incredibly um, incredible filmmaking on your part and kind of being able to put that together in such a kind of uh, a way that you know we're all kind of gripped in but it's also very thrilling at the same time and you have a real sense of kind of being allowed into this world that we normally wouldn't be able to see um mm-hmm. from jenny ash um huge, huge congratulations for incredibly groundbreaking beautiful and moving film such incredible courage how did you chat with her during filming were you both worried about security of those messages and has her family seen the film? Um, I mean, we didn't, I mean, obviously we weren't chatting while she was filming. We were chatting usually in the mornings. So, um, you know, from eight to, till one and then her day started. Um, and her family hasn't seen the film. They know about the film and she is hoping, um, she's, she's waiting for them in Germany. Um, they're actually planning on, on visiting her. Uh, hopefully in the next few months. Well, yeah, let's see. And uh, then she's going to show the film to them. And does she now have aspirations to be a filmmaker as well? I don't think so, actually. <laughs> I, I'm surprised. I was hoping to. I was hoping for her that because I think she's incredibly talented. I mean, the footage she came back with, I mean, it's, it's almost every day I was like, I, you know, I can't believe she you know she filmed something that way without having no previous experience um no but i think she's she she's a graphic designer and she wants to work continue working in graphic design i think we've got time for maybe one more question if anyone's got one from the at home audience um but i just wanted to ask kind of what your plans are next in terms of a obviously the film and kind of your aspirations and hopes for it for this year but also what you're working on now um i was this film actually interrupted um another film which i'm shooting at the moment um and it's about um it's about a 14 year old who's got over 1.5 million followers um so it's 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 social media kids film is called girl gang but it's going to take a while until it's finished i suppose Mm -hmm. kind of maybe um this is kind of a kind of for all of those um people with these huge followings online at the moment kind of is a perfect time to see if there's kind of any competition for them now i think everyone is turning into you know into an influencer turning Mm -hmm. into a youtube channel or personal blogger right now we have one more question Mm -hmm. um what does Mona think that, of the reaction the film has had with audiences? Um, I, yeah, I think it's both. I mean, she is proud, definitely. 
Um, she is happy that it's being received so well. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think when she was on stage in Berlin for the first time, I think she's also pretty overwhelmed by it all. But uh, generally very positive. I suppose mm. taking such a kind of personal experience and your own fight for freedom, document it, and then it being kind of at one of the biggest film festivals in the world mm -hmm. is kind of, it would make anyone a little bit nervous. Um, uh, well, she had, she had never heard about Sundance before, so I think. Sue, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so mm. thank you so much. Thank you for such an incredible film. Thank you for sharing Mena's story. Thank you for being available for this back to the q and I'm wishing you all the best. Oh, but one last question. Have we got time? Oh, yes. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's see. Um, oh, it's just someone saying congratulations on a brave and powerful film. So Great, thank you. Perfect way to kind of end this Q&A. Um, yeah, good luck with it. Thank you. And I hope it reaches a huge audience. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks for watching. Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.